Well, amen. All right. Well, let me just ask you a question just to get things kicked off. How much do you love God tonight? How much do you love Him? And, th- you know, that's a, that's a pretty probing question, isn't it? I mean, that's easy. I mean, maybe to respond. It could be quick and easy to respond. Oh, a lot. But how much do we really love Him? The Bible says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Boy, I tell you what, if we start utilizing the Bible to gauge our love for Christ, it may change our answers. If we think about just our feelings, if we consider how we view things, then maybe we'd say, oh, without a doubt, a lot. But if we see it from God's side, if we look at it from His perspective, it might change. We might have a different view. We might have a different perspective if we've seen it the way he does. If you love me, keep my commandments. So if we do indeed love him, then we ought to be keeping his commandments. If we don't keep his commandments, then maybe we ought to start questioning our love. Start asking ourselves, do we really love him like we say we do? And let's be honest, probably all of us could do to love him a little more. We all could. But, boy, we ought to make sure that when we start evaluating our Christian life, we start looking into whether or not it's we are the the Christian that we ought to be, we need to make sure that we're not basing that on our own opinion based on our own criteria. We need to base it on the Word of God and His criteria. And so we need to be careful. It has nothing at all to do with the message. I just felt compelled to kind of ask you that question tonight. Take your Bible, look at 1 Samuel chapter 30. We are still in our secrets of successful living. And tonight we're going to begin another kind of lesson in that series entitled, What to Do When Trouble Comes. What to do when trouble comes. Nobody in the room's ever had any trouble. So at least we're pretty safe so far. But maybe we can kind of equip you, give you a few thoughts and ideas before they come. All right, 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 1, we're going to read about a fellow by the name of David, and we're going to see that he has quite a bit of trouble, at least at this point in his life. Chapter 30, 1 Samuel, let's begin reading in verse 1. It came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, and smitten Ziklag, and burned it with fire, and had taken the women captives. That were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city. Behold, it was burned with fire. Their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. David's two wives were taken captive. Ahinoam the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal the Carmelite. David was greatly distressed. For the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself and the Lord his God. Boy, in this passage... God shares a very troublesome time in the life of David. And after returning to their hometown, David and his men discovered that their city had been burned to the ground and that their wives and their children were gone. 
I think it's important to note that not for a moment probably, I can't even believe for a moment at the time, I suppose, I guess, I guess they knew that the families were at least taken from the city alive, but you need to understand how warfare took place back then. You need to realize how David operated. The Bible tells us just a few chapters earlier that David was killing all the men, all the women, and all the children. He was not leaving any alive in all the uh, uh, attacks that he made. I've got to believe that David started believing that sooner or later, everyone that they took captive would sooner or later either die or be, have a horrible existence. This wasn't something like, well, they just took them captive and they're going to ask for ransom. There was no ransom going to be offered. Nobody was going to give them a chance to go back home. These men understood what warfare was about. They knew that the stakes were high. They understood that probably all their children and all of their wives and others would either be dead or being taken into the homes of others and made their own wives and their own children. They knew what it meant and they understood the severity of the situation. These were men of war. These were not men that were soft. These were not people that sat behind computer screens. These were not men that just simply typed away throughout the day, entering data. No, these were men who were trained in warfare. These were men who knew what it was to have pain and suffer throughout their daily life. They knew what it was to have cuts and bruises. They knew what it was to have gangrene growing in their skin. They knew what it was to endure the hardships of this life like no others. And yet here they are, on their knees and on their face before God, crying out, crying to the point where they're out of tears completely, where they can do nothing but grieve. You and I have no concept. We cannot for a moment even understand what they felt. We, we can't even imagine what it would be like to go to our neighborhoods tonight and have all of our homes burned to the ground, our wives and our children being taken away from us by an enemy who knew our reputation as mass murderers. To think they would do the same thing to them that we have done to others. We've never gone into a situation, nor have we ever had to deal with anything like that. Thank God that every war that we've been fighting in America, with the exception of the Civil War for the most part, has been fought on foreign soil. I'll tell you what, we do not want to battle on American soil. Our women, our children, our families are at least safe while we are dying overseas. But that's not what was going on here. You talk about trouble. This is from trouble. But you know what? The truth is, trouble is no respecter of persons, is it? In Job 5, 7, the Bible tells us, yet man is born into trouble as the sparks fly upward. In Job chapter 14, verse 1, it says, man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. You know, we may not have to deal with a situation as desperate, maybe as difficult as David and his men did at that very moment. But I'm going to tell you something. You and I, and you know it to be true, face some pretty troublesome times. And those problems that we face are big. Some of them are very difficult. Some of them are very just overwhelming in our lives. 
I'm amazed sometimes how we treat children. And again, I, I understand that children will come to us with a problem. And some of their problems seem so simple and so insignificant. If we're not careful, we make light of the problem. And at times, that, that, that needs to be the case. Let me tell you something. First of all, don't make a federal case out of every little thing in your kid's life. Kid comes to you and says, Mommy, so-and-so hit me. What are you going to do about it? Nothing. Get out there and deal with it. I mean, I'm just saying, sometimes we make a big deal of everything. You know, uh, she took my toy. You know, that little kid's being mean to everybody, Pastor. Really? Grow up. It's life. I mean, it's life. Learn to deal with it. And sometimes we get into some things we shouldn't get into. And sometimes we step into things we shouldn't step into. And as a result, we can create more problems for our kids. And we can teach them to be to the point where they can't solve their own problems. They need someone to do it always for them. Yeah, learn to solve some problems. However, let me say this. Some of the problems our children face are big. Kid comes home from school and he's being bullied or picked on. Sometimes it's not enough just to say, ah, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you know, whatever. Sometimes you've got to ask the questions. Find out how, 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 what the problem really is. Find out what's really going on. Maybe the teacher's doing something. Maybe this is happening. At least listen to them. Hear them out. It may still be very simple. It may be very small. But to them, it's big. Can I tell you, there's some problems that some of you have that I would think are small because of the things I deal with. There are some things you've dealt with that make you would look at my life and I'd say, boy, this is a real mess in my life. You go, that's nothing. Do you want to know what? If you're going through a problem, it's big. You know what? I'm never going to probably go through what David went through. But can I tell you, from my perspective, some of my problems are pretty big. You know, when it really comes down to it, I don't care what David went through. I got a problem. And my problem's what matters right now. Not what David went through. However, here's the point. What David went through can help me with my problem now. Because I can guarantee you my problem's probably not bigger than David's. So what David did is going to make a difference in my life too then. That's all I guess what I'm trying to say is your problem isn't small. Your problem's probably big, at least in your eyes. And may I say, we don't need to diminish the problem. We don't need to somehow try to dismiss it and say that it's not real. No, you have real problems and so do I. We've got real problems that we have to face on a regular basis. But can I tell you, we have an example that was given to us in Scripture of someone that faced problems probably that we'll never ever dream of facing. And he got through it and dealt with it. So guess what we're going to be able to do? Get through, with it, get it through it and deal with it. We're going to be able to do that if we follow his plan, God's plan. Now, it's interesting what took place with these guys. I don't know about you, but I, I'm always amazed as I look at this situation in 1 Samuel. Uh, you know, the initial shock left the men broken. I mean, these men were in tears. They were so much in tears, they, they got to the place where they couldn't cry anymore. Have you ever cried like that? To where you cried so much you couldn't cry anymore. Have you been there? Now again, it, it, it's just, I mean, it's a reality of life. You can cry so much that you can't cry. These men arrived at that place. They got to that place. I don't know how long it took. I don't know if it was a matter of minutes. I don't know if it was hours. I don't know how long it was exactly. But they got to that place where they couldn't cry any longer. But something happened. That brokenness turned to blame. And the men wanted to kill David. 
See, the Bible tells us that the people spake of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved. They were so hurt. They felt such such a burden that at some point they turned and looked at their leader and said, you're the problem. Isn't that amazing? Can I tell you that's a lesson for all of us? That's a lesson. See, I guess here's the lesson then. The feeling of grief, hurt, and heartache are often the culprit for blame, anger, and bitterness in our life. See, if you've been hurt in your life, you are more prone to blaming. You're more prone at that point to anger, and you're more prone to even bitterness in your life when you feel you've been hurt. It is a reality of life. We find it with these men of war even. These weren't a bunch of wimps. They weren't, as we used to call them, cake eaters. They weren't cream puffs. These were tough guys. And yet when they were hurt, when they were grieving, when they felt like there was no hope, what'd they do? They turned on their leader. Hold on, hold on. Let's think about this leader for just a moment. David had received these men when they were in great distress themselves. Look if you would in 1 Samuel 22 too. Interestingly enough, they showed up in David's camp when they were the one in trouble. 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 2. This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. I don't spend a lot of time in it, but I love it because it encourages me. <laughs> when we read it, you'll see what I'm getting at. Okay, so anyway, watch this now. 1 Samuel 22, 2. And everyone that was in distress, and everyone that was in debt, and everyone that was discontented, gathered themselves to the preacher. I mean, gathered themselves unto him. And he became a captain over them, and there were with him about 400 men. You see why I love this passage? <laughs> Makes me feel good. I realize that I'm not doing so bad after all, <laughs> okay? This guy, you want to talk about having a rough church. He had a rough church. You see what I mean? This guy had a rough one. Everyone that was discontented, everyone that was in debt, everyone that was in distress came running to David. Oh, man. David, how you doing? I want to join you. You got any money? No. Do you like anything about life? Uh-uh. Uh, well, let me ask you one more question. Um, things going okay for you? Uh-uh. I mean, distress, debt, and discontentment. And there were with him about 400 men. That's how they arrived at this camp. I mean, when they got to David, they really didn't have a whole lot, right? They weren't really that good a shape. Had all kind of problems. Now facing this unbearable loss of wife, children, and home, they turned on David. The very one they turned to. I mean, someone has to be responsible for the pain, right? Somebody's got to be held accountable. If it's not my fault, it has to be his. So David, although he's equally hurt, equally distraught, finds himself alone, and he's in need of some real encouragement here. Have you ever felt alone in the midst of a problem, even though you might have had your wife, your family, and others around you? I mean, you just were, I mean, literally, you, you honestly did not feel like anyone understood what you're going through. 
And you may have felt that others were making light of your situation or possibly acted like you were making more of it than it ought to be made of. In this particular case, David says, you know what? And there's nobody on my side. Everybody's against me. I've lost my wives. I've lost my children. I've lost my leadership. These people are ready to stone me. So how would David face this overwhelming trial in his life? I mean, how will he deal with the hurt that's attempting to, to cripple him? I mean, how's he going to address the betrayal of his men? How's David going to deal with this? I mean, how will he find the strength to go forward and to keep on going? How's David going to do that when everybody's against him? I mean, let's face it, if everybody's against you, you might as well just give up, right? Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me, so I'll go eat worms. Remember that years ago, if you're old enough? Remember that? David could have easily sang that song. What's he going to do about it? Well, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to consider a couple of things. The reality of trouble in every life. We're going to look at that tonight. It's just a reality. You're going to have some trouble. And probably a lot more than you'd like. So will I before it's over with. And then number two, the recipe for trouble in every life. What's the recipe? What do we need to do when we face trouble? I mean, what do we do? That's important, isn't it? Boy, I'll tell you what, have you ever watched people make bad mistakes when they're in a mess? They make worse decisions even than they, they would have normally? I mean, you tell people all the time, when you're, going through a tough, when you're going through a tough time, do not make any major decisions. Boy, I'll tell you what, it's easy to make bad decisions when you're under the gun when you're going through difficulties and trials and tribulation, or when you're hurting, it's easy to make bad decisions. So what's the recipe then? How do we handle that? All right, so anyway, today, we're going to take just a couple minutes and start on this first one, the reality of trouble in every life. Father, we just ask, Lord, for your leadership. Help us to be encouraged by your word. Lord, we can't imagine uh, just how it would have felt to come home to no home, no city, and our family's literally gone. And to think what that might mean, Lord, that would be so unbearable. And yet, Lord, in our own lives, we face troubles every day that at times, too, can seem overwhelming and unbearable. But Lord, help us to learn that there is hope and that we can indeed overcome. Give us, Father, the recipe over the next few weeks. Lord, help us not to question the true reality of it all or to question you in the midst of it, but to trust you. Well, thank you. In Christ's name, amen. First of all, David's trouble was very real. Um, again, there's nothing imaginary about what we're seeing here in these, this passage. And you know what? When you think our, ours, our problems, and if we would compare our problems to his problems. We, we could ask some of the same questions. You know, does, does our problem have to do with great loss in our life? I mean, his did. I mean, they came back to Ziglag and, uh, I mean, it was smitten. It was burned with fire. It, it was, had been taken, captive, uh, taken and, and, and destroyed. 
does your problem have to do with some loss in your life? Maybe, is it connected with your loved ones? We're talking about trouble. We're talking about trials in our lives. Is, is that trouble of yours connected with your loved ones? In this case, David's, uh, I mean, his sons, his daughters, and his wives were taken captive. It involved his family. You know what? Troubles in our lives can involve our families, our loved ones. It can involve a loss in our life. I mean, is it so great that you've wept until you have no more power to weep again? No more power to weep. You've just, you're all teared out. Boy, David ran into that problem, and so did his men. When we compare our our situation to theirs, we can see many similarities. And although we may not have to deal with what he dealt with, we're going to deal with other things that can bring about the same kind of feelings and ultimately push us over the edge like they were pushed. How real our troubles are. They are real. They're not fake. They're not made up. They're legit. They're the the real deal. And there is nothing imaginary about your problem today. It's a problem. Now, it may be a bigger problem than it needs to be. Maybe it just seems more overwhelming to you than maybe it ought to be. And sometimes it helps to talk to somebody you trust and to get it off your chest, so to speak. But let me tell you, it's still a real problem and it's not fake. It's not imaginary. You know what? It's not wrong to weep. It's not wrong to express that emotion even. David and his men, they found themselves weeping. You know, it's an interesting thing. If I'm not mistaken, I think Jesus wept too. Over there in the book of John chapter 11, when dealing with that whole situation with Lazarus, and as he looked at the people and he saw them brokenhearted, he couldn't help but weep himself. Such great compassion. David's trouble was very real. May I say ours is too. Not only that, but David was in trouble although he was a child of God. That's an important truth to note. David had problems. He was a child of God, but he still had some real problems here. In the book of Acts chapter 13, verse 22, we read, And when he had removed him, he raised up them unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, Listen now to the testimony. I have found David the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Man, David, as we look back, as God is speaking about David back then, and here he is now in the book of Acts, and he's referring to David from, as he looks back. He says, listen, this man right here, David, he was a man after my own heart. This wasn't some guy that was uh, going and just doing his own thing all the time. Sure, David made some horrible errors of judgment in his life. He messed up here and there, no doubt. We all are capable and we are able to do the same thing. But God had a testimony, and God said some things about David that I think, each and every one of us would like God to say about us. He was a man after God's own heart. And yet, what are you doing, God, if you love him so much and if you care about him so much and if you respect him so much as a man of God, why in the world would you allow the, um, these, these, Ziglag, these Amalekites to come to Ziglag, destroy his city, take his wives and take his children and wreck and ruin his leadership? Why would you do that? Well, because trouble comes to children of God, too. The Lord loved David. But David found himself in the midst of these very distressing circumstances. 
Just because we're Christians, we can't expect to be immune from trouble. It doesn't work that way. Let me tell you something. You walk into a room full of people that have the flu, and you swap spit with them. Let me tell you something. I don't care how much a Christian you are, you're probably going to come down with the flu. You get what I'm saying? I mean, I don't care how much of a Christian you are. Trouble comes. Trouble comes. Isn't it amazing sometimes, as believers, how quick we are to think or believe, without saying it, of course, that we don't deserve this? I mean, we're really good Christians. I mean, we're faithful in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I mean, we're even out soul winning and we're teaching Sunday schools and running buses and, and working in nurseries and we're doing all the things, singing in the choir and specials and everything else that goes with it. Why in the world would God let this happen to me? The Bible tells us in Hebrews 13, 12, wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Even Jesus suffered. You think God didn't love his own only begotten son? He loved us. He certainly loved him. And yet he found trouble. Or trouble found him. Actually, he kind of ran to it, didn't he? Did that for us. Aren't you glad Jesus went ahead and allowed trouble in his life? I am. Think how much the Lord suffered and how much even the apostle Paul suffered. Turn your Bible, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Again, one of the greatest Christians in history, the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Give us a summary of your escapades as a servant of God, Paul. Oh, sure, let me share just a few tidbits with you. He opens up by sharing verse 23. And saying, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant. In stripes above measure. In prisons more frequent. In death oft. Oh, I thought you were God's choice servant. Yeah, I am. But let me tell you a little bit more about myself. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, at a night and a day I have been in the deep. Hmm. But, 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 but I thought that he saved you to witness to the Gentiles, to be a light in darkness, to carry the gospel around the world. He did, but let me tell you a little bit more about my journeys. In journeys often... In perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils of the heathen, in perils of the city, in perils of the wilderness, in perils of the sea, in perils among false brethren. Paul, I mean, come on, God specifically reached out to you on the road to Damascus, said he, he, he called you to his service and he loved you like no other, it seems, because you were used in such a mighty way. Yeah, but let me tell you, it wasn't easy. I grew very weary along the way. Let me tell you about it, verse 27. In weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. 
besides those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. I don't know about you, but I don't question for a moment that Paul was a child of God, do you? I don't. I, I, you know what? If there's anybody in the Bible I believe is in heaven and have no doubt that it's the case, it'd be the Apostle Paul. He was called to the third heaven already one time and he talks about that and he relates that to us and he lets us know that there comes a time when he could be dead and ultimately in the presence of Christ, but for the sake of the people, for their sake, he's going to remain. For their good, he'll remain on earth, but he's ready to go because he's already been there, done that. I don't, I don't think there's any question this man's a Christian. Boy, did he have a lot of problems. It, it kind of dawned on me, and I got thinking about this as I'm reading that. It's interesting how trouble comes in our lives. There's a number of ways, and we'll talk more about this. But you, we can have trouble from the world, or we can have trouble from him. I got thinking about that. I mean, think about it. Paul has a lot of problems, but his problem isn't really with God. His problem's with those he's trying to minister to. It's the world he's trying to reach. They don't appreciate him. They don't appreciate his efforts. They don't appreciate his message. They don't appreciate his zeal. And they make sure he knows it. But how many other people have chosen to make friends with the world? But they still have all these problems as believers. Why? If the world's not giving them trouble, then where's it coming from? We're going to find that David found some trouble. We're going to find, not tonight it doesn't look like, but next time we get together, that many of David's problems, his problem here was self-inflicted. He wouldn't have been in this problem if he hadn't made some bad choices, a lack of faith. We're going to see that even David messed up in that area. And we're going to see that if he would have only stayed in Israel where he belonged, if he had only trusted God, he wouldn't end up in this mess. But anyway. Can you think of one true child of God that has not experienced hardship, trials, or testings? You ever run into one that says, oh, I've never had any problems, never had a testing, never had a trial? I'm not saying they haven't said, no, I've never had any major issues. I mean, I've never had to go through some of the things that others have. Have you ever had a problem, though? Have you ever, well, yeah, of course. I mean, of course I have. Have you ever met a child of God that's never had any trials, any difficulties, any troubles? I haven't. I haven't met that person yet. I haven't met that person. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 says, Beloved... Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. Go ahead and turn there because this passage is amazing really, isn't it? 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. And again, listen, listen to this. I mean, just really as we read this, look at the passage and see what he's actually stating, what he's saying here. Again, 1 Peter I mean, this, this book is being written, as the Bible tells us, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. 
Elect according to the foreknowledge of God. Thank you for your foreknowledge, God. This isn't Calvinistic doctrine we're teaching here. Again, the foreknowledge of God is in play. He saw something ahead of time. But I want you to see here, these are strangers scattered throughout Pontius, Galatius, Cappadocia, so forth, so on. They're not sitting very comfortably where they're at. They're not being accepted for who they are, believers. They're experiencing some real persecution. And he says, beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. As though some strange thing happened unto you. Don't think that it's so strange that you're enduring or that you're dealing with these problems. Don't look at it as though, what's going on? This is so strange. This is so strange. I'm enduring this hardship. No, he says, don't look at it that way. It's, It's not strange. Not at all. It's normal. It's it's as normal as you breathing. These trials, these troubles in your life are as normal as your breathing is. It's not strange. It's not unusual. It's normal. They may not be pleasant, but they are to be expected. And that's what the Bible teaches us. I mean, wait a second. I'm a child of God. I got saved and I was supposed to get saved from all these problems. Some problems are self-inflicted. Some problems come on us because God permits them. Some problems are this, they just find us no matter what it seems. And may I tell you this, it doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or not, trouble's going to find you. It is just reality. Whether you're a child of God or not, And we're going to see next week a few other things about these issues of trials and of this trouble. But boy, I'll tell you what, don't be surprised by the troubles. I don't like trouble. I hate it. I don't like discomfort. I despise it. I don't like pain. I can't handle it. I don't like none of it. But it doesn't matter what I want. It doesn't matter what I like. God says, it's coming. If you haven't had it yet, it's coming. Trouble's coming if you haven't experienced it yet. I got to believe we all have to some degree or another. But we need to be prepared for it. So we're going to try to learn from the life of David. We're going to try to learn from the Word of God how to deal with trouble as we move along in this series. Father, we come to you. We thank you for this time together. And Lord, we thank you for the people of God. And Lord, it, I guess one could say, well, this wasn't very encouraging, but I don't know, Lord. I, I think it's, in one sense, it's encouraging to know that we're not alone. <laughs> Every one of us is going to face troubles. No one's going to escape it. We might as well learn to deal with it and face it and deal with it in a way that honors God Lord, over the next few weeks, help us to learn more about how to do that. I thank you for David, who was able to stand even in the midst of the opposition, who wouldn't give in, but instead stood tall, trusting you, reaching out to you, encouraging himself in you. Lord, may we, like David, 
enter your presence when we feel trouble coming and even when we feel that the odds are against us. Be glorified in our lives. We need you tonight. Thank you for the simplicity of your word. Help us, Lord, just to trust you. Not to lean on our own understanding, but to lean on yours. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand.